We read these words in the book of Revelation, chapter 19. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So I'm going to read uh, from John chapter 12. And six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from from, from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for three hundred denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box. and And he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. Now a great many of the Jews knew that he was there. And they came, not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. But the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. The next day a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him, and that he had done these things to him. Therefore the people who were with him, when he called Lazarus out of the tomb, 
and raised him from the dead, bore witness. For this reason the people also met him, because they heard that he had done this sign. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, You see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn Andrew and Philip told Jesus. But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. Where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honour. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore the people who stood by and heard it said that it had it said that it had thundered. Others said, An angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. Leave, leave it there. So reads the word of God. If you'd like to turn again to John chapter 12. Here we are at the end of the year. Good to reflect on what's happened the last 12 months. Uh, war has been a great theme, both in Israel and the Ukraine. A reminder, if we, if we needed one, of the fallenness of mankind. In the life of this country, we've seen a great event in the coronation of King Charles III. And then, just in the last few days, we've been reminded again of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ into the world. And often at this, this time of the year, we, we only want to think of Jesus as a, as a helpless babe in the manger. And the world wants to leave him there. They don't want to consider that he grew up to become the man that we know and read about in the Gospels. The Lord of Lords, the, the King of Kings that we re- read in Revelation chapter 19, right at the beginning <coughs> of the service. And this morning I want us to fast forward to the events of the cross. 
and think about his coronation. We had the coronation of Charles this, this year. What about the coronation of the Lord Jesus Christ? Last week we thought about the Magi, how they came to Herod. And they asked, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? They knew that a greater king than David was to be born in Bethlehem. One described, as we read at the beginning in chapter 19 of Revelation, he who has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And it's this Lord of Lords and King of Kings that I want us to think about this morning. Christ our King. Well, who is our King? That's the first point we want to have a look at. And how does he reign? That's the second thing we'll look at. And then thirdly, we'll see who serves him. Who serves the King of Kings? And we have to remind ourselves, firstly, our first point, that Jesus is a king. He rules over a kingdom. The kingdom of God. And this is one of the great offices that Jesus holds. One of three offices. He is our great high priest. He is our great prophet. And he is our king. And God willing we'll be looking at all of those in the next week or so. Now many people have been kings. You can, you know, if you studied history at school you might know all the kings of England. Kings and queens. Know them in order. Many people claim to be prophets. And we have many prophets in the Old Testament. We've also heard of many priests. But there is only one in the whole of human history that claims to be all three. The Lord Jesus Christ. And you have to ask yourself, if a prophet came to you and they knew all about you and knew all about what was to come, would you listen to them? Sure you would. Or perhaps if a, a priest came to you and said to you, I will intercede on your behalf before God. Would you take him up on it? Or if a good king asked you to serve him, would you take up their commission? Many people, they go into the armed forces. We have uh, one of our own here, don't we? Jared who has done that very thing. He serves in the RAF. He has taken on the King's Commission. Well, what if a, someone was to come to us who was all three of all those things? Would we follow them? Well, I would suggest that you should. And at the start of his ministry, Jesus declared... The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. 
And this kingdom of God is a central theme of of the ministry of the Lord Jesus. He told many parables about it. He often said, the kingdom of God is like. And then he would tell another parable about it. And at his coming, this kingdom of God will break into the world. This sinful world. And the gospel is all about how we enter that kingdom of God. And in our reading in chapter 12 of John's Gospel, here we are at the beginning of the, uh, the events that led to the cross. And here the Lord Jesus enters Jerusalem. And he enters Jerusalem on a donkey. Well, we've read about that before. If we've read our Old Testaments, we've, we should know about this. In Zechariah 9 verse 9 we read, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation. Lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. And that is exactly what Jesus is doing here in John chapter 12. Fulfilling that very scripture, the coming king. The whole Old Testament is about that looking forward. To a greater King David. A new ruler. A new government. Not one that lasts just for a while. In the coming year. We'll have another another election. We'll elect new leaders. And in this last year we have a new king. King Charles. Presidents and kings and queens in this world come and go. But not with the Lord Jesus. With Jesus, it says of the increase of his government and peace. There will be no end. He comes to restore all that has been lost. And as we look at John chapter 12. Just... For a moment, look at the context. What's happened previous, just immediately prior to these events here. Well, Jesus was raised from the dead in John chapter 11. And that is the most remarkable miracle you could ever think of. Yes, he uh, healed the sick. Uh, Gave sight to the blind. But here was a miracle above all the others. Raising a man from the dead. Surely this was pointing forward to exactly what he would do at the cross. He would be punished for our sins. And he would raise himself from the dead. And even though this... Miracles plainly seen among the people. There was much opposition. 
Amazing. <laughs> now, many of the Jews did believe. We're, said, we're told that on account of him, Lazarus, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. Wonderful news. But it also spelled trouble. It spelled trouble for Lazarus himself. They wanted to get rid of him also. As much as they wanted to get rid of the Lord Jesus. And last week we were thinking about prophecy. In the Old Testament, verse after verse tells us about the coming king. That when he did come, many rejected him. He came to his own, we're told. His own did not receive him. They didn't see the coming king. They completely missed it. And that's something we should think about ourselves as we think about Jesus. Do we miss it? Do we miss him? And we go so engrossed in all our daily activities and the things that we want to do in our lives that we miss him. We don't see he's come into the world. He is the king of kings. Remember how the angel Gabriel came. And he said, behold, you will conceive in your womb. He was saying this to Mary, wasn't he? And bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Not only is he the king of Israel. He is the king of all kings. He will reign in righteousness. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, we're told, When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. And later he says, Your throne shall be established forever. And at, Christ, at Charles's coronation this last year, now, there was a lot of symbolism used there in that service. All those things that we watched and may be confused about. Oh, why, is he be, why is he being given an orb? And why is he given a scepter? Well, all those things were signs and symbols of kingly rule. The reign of a monarch. And that scepter that Charles was given, it's a symbol of the crown's power and governance. And we're told in Genesis 49, verse 10, that the scepter shall not depart from Judah. Again, a prophecy of what the Lord Jesus would be, who he would be, a king. He would hold a scepter. He would hold power and governance. 
Now, the people did want a king. They were looking forward to a king. They longed for a leader. Someone who would rule in righteousness and wisdom. They looked to someone like King David. They looked to someone who would defeat all of their enemies. They wanted a good king and yet throughout Israel's history we see that many of these kings were not good kings. They did evil in the sight of the Lord. And what were they really looking for in their king? What do we look for today in our leaders? What do we look for in King Charles? What do we look for in the next Prime Minister? Well, this world has so many problems, doesn't it? Perhaps more than ever before. And when every election cycle comes around, these potential presidents and prime ministers, they they promise the whole world, don't they? They promise to solve all the problems. But they never do, do they? And yet they continue to make such promises. And why is that? Why can't they solve all the problems? Well, there is a greater problem that mankind faces. And that's the problem of sin. And only one king, King Jesus, can solve that greatest problem. And here he is, in this chapter here, riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. We don't have any record of him doing that elsewhere. Now this was done for a very good reason. He must fulfill the scriptures of the Old Testament. I'm sure he could have walked into Jerusalem himself. But here he is making a very clear statement of the nature of his kingdom. Here he is. He is entering Jerusalem. He is entering the place where he will receive the most opposition. He's going into, you may have heard that that expression, going into the belly of the beast. He's deliberately going into a bad situation. He's riding into Jerusalem as a king, but not like any other king that we know about. Well, how does he reign? Well, it's very different from the kings of this world. How did Charles III travel to his coronation? I'm sure you all watched those uh, watched this on the on the television back in I think it was May. And he travelled to Westminster Abbey in in the gold state coach. He wore the robe of a state. These were garments of purple silk, velvet, with gold lace. Worn by his grandfather, King George VI. And in the Westminster Abbey, the Archbishop of Canterbury, 
placed on his head St. Edward's crown. I'm sure we've all seen it. We may have visited the crown jewels and seen it ourselves. A crown set with thousands of diamonds. It has 17 sapphires, 11 emeralds, 269 pearls and 4 rubies. It contains some of the most famous jewels in the world. The Black Prince's ruby, the Stuart sapphire, and the Cullinan diamond. This Cullinan diamond, it's, it's huge. Like, like a small, you know, if you pick up a stone, it's, it's huge. Priceless. Well, how did Jesus enter Jerusalem? To his coronation. He rides on a donkey. What did he wear? Well, when they arrested him, we're told that they twisted a crown of thorns. They put it on his head. And a reed, a scepter, in his right hand. They bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. What did he wear? They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. Jesus is king, but not of this world. This world, this present evil age, sees things very differently. It likes the outward pomp and show. And when Jesus appeared before Pilate, Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Very leading question, something he really shouldn't have done. And under Roman law, if you claim to be a king, claim to rule in the place of Caesar, then you were guilty of treason. But Jesus remains silent. But he does answer, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. You see there that Jesus answered Pilate's question with an emphatic yes. You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born. And for this cause I have come into the world. But he didn't meet the people's expectations. They wanted someone to overthrow the Romans, bring them prosperity, things that they so that they can go on in their go on with their lives as as normal, but just in better circumstances. They didn't like it that the Lord Jesus challenged them about their very behaviour. Isn't that what the Sermon on the Mount is all about? 
He took the Ten Commandments and applied them to every aspect of their lives. He was shining a light into their lives and exposing them. And that's what he does to us, isn't it? We can react in two ways. We can either say, yes, I want my life to be exposed. I want Jesus to see the ugliness that's in me. I want him to forgive me of all of those things. Or we could go the other way. We can prefer living in the darkness and say to him, go away. And that's exactly what we see here. They said, away with him. Crucify him. Pilate said, shall I crucify your king? We have no king but Caesar. He's a king, but not of this world. They wanted a king to kick out the Romans. This was their hope. And as they saw the Lord Jesus entering Jerusalem, that's, I'm sure, what they were hoping for. But they very quickly see that that's not what Jesus came to do. And so the crowd quickly turns on him. The crowd, they think, oh, this man, he doesn't have the power to over, overthrow the Romans. Now our king, Charles III, is the head of our state. In fact, he's the head of state of some 15 countries. He doesn't have real power. That is in the hands of our elected government. And maybe we, we can think of the kingship of Jesus and think that his kingship is something similar. Is the kingship of Jesus something like that of our king? Something, well, we... we in earthly things, we submit to our government. In spiritual things, we submit to Jesus. But really, the earthly power is the most powerful power, if I can say that. We might say that King Jesus does not really have real authority over all things. So how come? He doesn't rule over this world as it presently is. As I've said before, we have an election next year. Why doesn't the Lord Jesus return and impose his rule on this country? Why doesn't he replace all the presidents and prime ministers of the world? Why doesn't he take over? Why don't get rid of Putin and all the, all the leaders we, we, we'd surely love to see them being replaced by the rule of Christ in this world we'd love to see that why doesn't that happen why doesn't re the Lord Jesus return today to do that 
Well, we live in a fallen world. We live in a world that is at enmity with God. You see, in our sinfulness, we don't want to have God rule over us. Now, Jesus does rule over this world. But he must deal with the problem of sin. He did that at the cross. And at this present time, and we can, so we can call this time from, from Jesus' resurrection to his second coming, that whole time is the last days. That's how it's described in Scripture. And during this time, God, Jesus, builds his kingdom. He is calling people into that very kingdom. People of every tribe, nation and tongue. They are converted people. People who have had their relationships set right with God. And there are many countries in this world. I think there are 195 in total. But really there are only two nations or kingdoms that we can properly speak about they are the kingdom of God and they are and the kingdom of darkness and that's how they are described the, Jesus said I am the light of the world he who follows me shall not work, walk in darkness but have the light of life one kingdom is of light. The other is of darkness. The kingdom of light is ruled by Jesus Christ. The kingdom of darkness is ruled by Satan. Now we are members of a particular country. We all have a different nationality. Uh, we've got some with South African passports here. Some from Zambia. I've got a Dutch passport. Most of you here have British passports. And yet, whatever nation we are a, a citizen of, we are a citizen of one of two kingdoms. One is the kingdom of darkness. The other is the kingdom of light. We may not be aware of that. Many are not aware of that. We know and we've re we read in scripture that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. We have not turned to Jesus Christ. We're not part of his kingdom. Then we are under the sway of the wicked one. We are part of his kingdom. And so I want to ask you today, this morning, which kingdom do you want to be part of? Do you want to be in the kingdom of God? I hope that you would want to be. And how does this kingdom of God take over the, the kingdom of darkness? How does it progress? Well, I'm just going to 
quote a theologian here, George Ladd. And he says this, the kingdom is already here, but it has not yet come in its fullness. The decisive battle is already won. He is talking about the cross. The final victory is not yet completed. That's referring to the ingathering of the church, the, the people of God throughout all history. He goes on to say, the kingdom already has invaded this present evil age, but every knee has not yet bowed to the Lord Jesus. Like yeast in bread dough, the kingdom today may seem insignificant. Indeed, it may seem invisible, but it will multiply and spread until it permeates the entire batch. Victory was won at the cross. And there is a a period where Jesus builds his church. And men and women, boys and girls, enter that kingdom of God. And then finally, we must think about who serves the king. Who serves the king? Well, every kingdom... Every king must have subjects. Now, earthly kings and rulers don't change their subjects. They can't, they don't have that power to change. King Charles doesn't have the power to change you or me. But the Lord Jesus as king does in his office as king he goes about a work in each of his subjects the Westminster Shorter Catechism has the question how does Christ execute the office of a king and the answer is this Christ ex- executes the office of a king in subduing us to himself in ruling and defending us and in, and in restraining and conquering all his and our enemies. As king, he will subdue all tyrannical forces that are set up against us. And that even includes our own battle with our own flesh, our own sinfulness. He changes us, doesn't he? This is the whole uh, subject of sanctification. When we become Christians, he begins to conform us to the image of his son. We become more like him. We become like our king. I'm not sure any of us would want to be like our King Charles. Maybe in some aspects. But as a Christian... Surely that is your greatest wish, that you will be like the Lord Jesus, that we are as good as he is, that we have the compassion of Christ, that we have the love of Christ, that when people 
see us and we interact with them. But they see something of the Lord Jesus Christ in us. And that's the Lord Jesus executing his kingly office. Subduing us to himself. And that pro- process is often hard, isn't it? We think that uh, we make progress. And then often we think that it's like one step forward and two steps back. But Jesus is changing us. He is sanctifying us. We like to think that we can understand exactly how he will change us. Maybe we see that change as a, if you could plot it on a graph, as a, as a straight line going upwards. You know, sort of going upwards in sanctification and holiness. That's how we think sanctification works. That's our wisdom, how we would do it. But God doesn't work according to our wisdom. His wisdom is greater than our wisdom. And he can use all the events in our lives to subdue us to himself. He uses all the events that we go through, all the problems that we go through, to help us to see our need of him, to recognize that we're weak and that we live our lives in his strength and not ours. In our individual lives, we're growing in submission to Christ. The king does a great work of bringing us into this kingdom. He makes subjects for his kingdom. And I want to ask you, uh, as we conclude, will you be subjects of King Jesus? Will you serve him? Will you follow the king? This king is good. He is full of truth. Would you follow any other leader? Haven't you know those of us who have been around for a while? We know how leaders come and go. They always seem to leave under a shadow, don't they? Um, kings and, and rulers, and we often find how. Uh, after the fact how the way that they made decisions and then we think well and we're disappointed in the things that they did and often when you ask young people they say well we can't really trust our leaders anymore well here is a king who was good who has demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us oh here is a king that we can serve with all our hearts all our minds and all our souls we're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 24 that when we serve him he will come again it says then comes the end 
when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. At that time, all the, the authority and power of this world will end. And then he will rule in heaven for eternity. And I want to ask, will you be there? Will you be one of his subjects? Will you serve the king? Amen. Well, let's pray.